Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. The centre of the message this morning really centres around 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3, uh, 4 and 5. And even if our gospel is veiled, that is hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. I just might comment that the translation bondservants, to me, it's come to me at the moment that bondservant is a little bit of a contradiction because I uh, had the privilege of meeting a guy by the name of Satish John and he was a Indian prince and he said that uh, his dad had uh, 200 or 180 or nearly 200 servants and I'm thinking oh man this guy's got a mansion he's got all these people running around making beds and bringing food and all this sort of stuff I thought right then I started to understand when he talked a bit more that these were paid workers, like they were employees. So a servant is a volunteered employee and can leave uh, when they want. If they don't like the employment, they can leave. The, the translation here is actually do like it's bond slave. I reckon probably all of you would be well aware of the hymn Amazing Grace, one of the most famous hymns of all time, and probably know that John Newton wrote it. However, something you may not know, that John Newton was a slave himself for about 15 months. Not only was he a slave, he was under a cruel and abusive masters while in Africa. You see, John Newton met an influential man who uh, was quite wealthy and uh, John Newton thought that, okay, I'll work with this man and I too will become rich and influential. And instead of that, things went against him. He had a number of things go wrong and one of the, one of the things he had go wrong was severe sickness. And he fell out of favour with his new employer and the mistress. Not his mistress, the mistress and the employer. As a result, he was treated like a despised slave. 
destitute of food and clothing, totally depressed to the lowest level of human wretchedness and depravity, we could say, in his words. Even the natives thought themselves too good to even speak to him. They walked by and wouldn't even talk to him. Sometimes it was even hard to get him just something simple like a drink of water. The master's, the master's mistress made him walk even when he could hardly do so and got other slaves to mimic him and make fun of him and then throw things at him and sometimes stones. And when on board ship with the master, Newton was locked on deck with little food, little clothing, no shelter, rains and gales. Lasted 35 or 40 hours, didn't matter. They just leave him on there. He was, by his own account, so poor a figure that he had that he hid from strangers. Now Newton's father had many friends who were ship's captains, and he put the word out to look after his son John. If you see him, bring him home. And the captain of the Greyhound took him on board, and so he was finally free. Now, you would think that he had had enough of slavery. But no, on his first trip out aboard ship as the first mate, and on the next three ships, loads, he was captain on the trips, and you can guess what the freight was, slaves. John Newton said his heart shuddered to remember that he was in a business that dealt with people in chains, bolts and shackles. No wonder he wrote that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. After John Newton's conversion, he knew that he had been a blind slave, blinded by Satan's sin, and he wrote this. But first I want to tell you, or quote this verse for you, Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air of the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And this is what Newton wrote. Satan reigns and keeps his goods in peace. That's the slaves. The soul is pleasant to wear his chains, nor wishes our release. But Jesus being stronger far than he, in his appointed hour, appears to set his people free from Satan's power. So with an outstretched arm, he saves his, at his appointed hour. And that's what John Newton wrote. He knew that he'd been in bondage. Romans 8, 6 to 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. 
because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And the reason for this, I guess, is that it's all hidden. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 that I read earlier, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The unsaved are bound, blind and dead in sin. That's what the scriptures say. John MacArthur says sin is a cruel tyrant. It's the most devastating and degenerating power ever to afflict the human race. Such together until now. In Romans 8, 28, talks about it. Soon after this. It's just Romans. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of its children together until now. Yeah, the entire creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, Romans 8.22. It corrupts the entire person, infecting the soul, polluting the mind, defiling the conscience, contaminating the affections and poisoning the will. It's life-destroying cancer that grows in every unredeemed human heart. Unbelievers are not just infected by sin, but they are enslaved by it. Jesus said in John 8.34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And Paul said to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 17, Thanks be to God that that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your, ben your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Humans are born into slavery of sin. 
ever since the fall in Genesis 3, just like Solomon said that he had home-born slaves in the days of slavery, if your parents were slaves, you too would be owned by the master. And ever since Genesis 3, we're all born into slavery. The unbeliever is corrupted by the bondage of his or her fallen condition and utterly unable to free themselves from it. The Bible teaches this as found in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they can't see the light of the gospel. And Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of their hearts. This truth of absolute enslavement to sin and some call it a doctrine of human depravity, absolutely hated by us humans. Hated because we're proud, we think we can do something ourselves. And so, it's one of the most attacked teachings of any. And so it's often minimised and overlooked and hidden. And this leads to a corrupting of the doctrine of grace. To make that clear, it means that we don't understand fully how wonderful God's grace really is. It's a wrong understanding in the gospel in which initiates everything and receives the glory. So God, he initiates it for his glory. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, for, it's by God, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, that any should boast. Believe it or not, God gives us even the faith to believe. You know, I wasn't looking for God, I was going the other way. And the Bible teaches that all sinners are doing that. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And Luke 19, 10, Jesus said he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Paul wrote to Timothy in 1.15 and said, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God definitely made the first move. But one of the most dominant features of universal human fallenness is the fact of the sinner's deception about the true condition motivated by pride and the depraved mind thinks we're really much better than we really are. As slaves to sin, all unbelievers are hostile towards God and unable to please him in any respect. Flesh is hostile towards God and is not subject to the law of God, or it is not even able to do so. As sinners, we said, Don't bother me, Lord. I'm having a good time. I am enjoying life. I'm not necessarily a bad person, but I enjoy a good life. Don't bother me. I want to get on with it. 
That's their nature. I mean, some people don't perhaps enjoy life, but those that do and those that have money, don't bother me, Lord, I'm all right. Because this Bible truth is so despised, people try to find another way around it. They diminish the gospel of God's grace. And it's really bypassing the cross and not recognising our real state. Any Jesus plus something else religion is not a gospel at all. You heard that? Any Jesus plus something else religion is not the gospel at all that we believe in. I've been told once that you're not born again. You haven't been baptised in fire and spoken in tongues. You've got to have that or you won't be saved. And then I know that other people try and bypass the cross. They, uh, they go and get baptised and they baptise their babies so that they're going to go to heaven. That's not grace. That's human effort. But the New Testament indicates that the Father gave supreme authority to his Son, having raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. For above all rule, authority and power, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, many churches have a contemporary gospel. It's a contemporary evangelical movement having lost interest in doctrine or good Bible teaching. They're more concerned about numbers and how big the church is than teaching people about salvation and what the Lord requires. As for those who confess the Lordship of Christ, believers are duty-bound to obey him in everything. And along these lines, the theological dictionary of the New Testament explains it this way. With his work of redemption, Christ has made believers his own possession and now gives them the goals that shape their lives. This new commitment, which is a commitment to righteousness, as mentioned in Romans 6.19, holiness in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, and newness of life, Romans 6.4, indicates the description of Christians as Christ's Doulos, or doulois, slaves, were his slaves. 1 Corinthians 7.22 and Ephesians 6.6. Slaves of Christ are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Trying to learn how what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5.10. And seeking to understand the will of the Lord, Ephesians 5.17. And as rightly regarding themselves as people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, Titus 
who obey the word of God with eagerness, knowing that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But his face is against those who do evil. And you might think when the Bible talks about evil that it's really, really bad people. But it's not. Not always the case. I mean, right now, if we take this verse in context, it ends by saying that his ears are upon their prayers, but his face is against those who do evil. Those people could even be in churches. People that are not adhering to just what was written out and what I've read to you. These people could be doing evil because they are not adhering to the word of the Lord. They say in one hand that they're Christians, that they're born again, but they don't give evidence of it. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. Why do you call me Lord? Lord, he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? And I will Apart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew seven twenty-one to twenty-three. Clearly, we can see that clearly in the scriptures that not all those that attend church and claim to know the Lord actually do. It is quite clear from that. I remember I was witnessing to an elderly label lady in a nursing home and she got really prickly and she said I always went to church and I taught Sunday school what she's saying is I've done my words I've earned my passage really not a word does anyone boast when I was a little lad I went to the local hall and we had Sunday school there and this man taught me Sunday school about it. I told you, I told you, you go another way. Don't bother me, Lord. So, about halfway through life, become a Christian, born again, met the man. I said to him, I said, Oh, I've become a Christian, I've been born again into the family of God. Said he was dead. It was like getting up in the morning and turning the key and someone stole your battery. Nothing happens, you know? I don't think he even knew what I was talking about. But he taught me Sunday school. There was two Sunday school teachers, people that had been to church. No evidence of being born again. I mean, you know, when you meet other believers, um, 
It acts up. The spirit ministered the spirit, you know. You minister to one another. Just nothing. It's rather sad. You know, but another person, and I went to see them. They were dying of cancer, or this person was. And I said, this person never went to church much that I knew of. Probably um, weddings and funerals. And so I, I, said, I said to him, I said, um, are you at peace with this position that you're in? And are you at peace with the Lord? Thinking probably you wouldn't get a positive answer. And he said to me, yeah, he said, he has helped me already. And so then I just gently shared that my life had been a lot better since I became a Christian. And I accepted the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was evident that he had made communication with the Lord. You know, we may expect some people to be in heaven and they won't be. We may expect some people won't be there and they will be. Going back to slavery, most of us don't have a correct view about slavery. Most of us perhaps understand the cruelty of it and many other things, but it does have another side. Our view is, I think, is very limited. It's incomplete. But this story about us being God's slaves has a beautiful ending to it. So let me just set the scene a little for you. In Roman times, slavery was completely normal, with about one-fifth of the population slaves, that's 20%, or about one in five. As many as 12 million at the beginning of the first century AD. But do you know slaves had social standing as well? If they belonged to someone like a governor, uh, government official or maybe a prominent businessman, then they also had the privilege uh, of that social standing. They were respected. Slaves, they quite often could not be identified when they were going about their business. They wore the same clothes as everybody else and they might be handling the master's business, negotiating to purchase land or sell land or do anything in that regard. And so you might walk, one, walk past one in the street in those days and you would not know maybe who was slave and who was not. Sometimes slaves and masters had a very special relationship and slaves were adopted into the family. They took the family name with full rights as heirs to the establishment. That means that they had an inheritance. And then also they were accepted as Roman citizens. You know, in the same way we have been purchased as God's slaves from the cruel slavery of sin and simultaneously we've been accepted into his family Ephesians 1 verse 5 we instantly became citizens of heaven Philippians 3.20 and joint heirs with Christ joint heirs with Christ because we too became God's children 
And brothers and sisters of Christ, it says in Romans 8, 17. You know, it means that everything God has entrusted to his son will be entrusted also to us, shared with us as we minister to him in heavenly places. And of course, I can say there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Really a story of a great love that God has for mankind, particularly as all unbelievers are on the highway to hell and there was nothing we could do about it ourselves as Satan has blown to the minds of all unbelievers and that we can't see the glorious light of the gospel and that Satan has made unbelievers hostile towards God as it says in Romans but Jesus rescued us by shedding his own blood he sought us and bought us How is it that we're lost, blind and dead and enslaved by sin and can be saved? It's a miracle of God. And it is explained in the scriptures, God willing couple of weeks I'll share exactly with you how this happened how God got us out of this mess as we're going south on the highway to hell thinking it's all good but he redeemed those and for himself because he makes a move on us to draw us to himself we're so helpless it's all of God and nothing we can do it's all of grace Our loving Father, really we don't often realise how miserable us human beings are and how great and merciful and loving you are, redeeming us from the empty way of life with our Lord's precious blood, not with silver and gold like buying ordinary slaves, but with precious blood of our Saviour and so Father we thank you for our redemption I pray this morning if there's anyone here that your spirit has spoken to that they would make their peace with you or if need be talk to someone that they would share Father your grace is great lost but now I'm found. Thank you Father for those this morning for all of us that have been found. We praise you and thank you.